Hey, it's Mike Halford from the Halford and Bruff Podcast. One, thanks for downloading. Two, thanks for listening. Three, why not leave a review while you listen to the podcast? And now, back to the show. I am not Mike Halford. He is not Jason Bruff. We are Dan Richo and Jamie Dodd. Pretending to be yeah. Alfred and Bruff this week. I liked that intro, though. I thought it was going to keep going. I was like, man, we're not even going to have to do a show here. This is great. Uh, this is great. How, do, do these get longer <laughs> Let it every go. day? Let it go. The course of the Find week? some more clips, Balak. Alfred and Bruff, when they're in studio, the intros are 18 minutes long. <laughs> they actually don't talk at all during the show. It's just one long intro. I could get used to that. That yep. sounds good. It's great. Uh, all right. It is uh, Alfred and Bruff with Dan Riccio and Jamie Dodd this week. And hour one of Halford and Bruff is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Build your company to win with Kubota from Avenue Machinery. And of course, the show, the official sponsor, automotive sponsor of Halford and Bruff is the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. A lot in that intro. You heard a little bit uh, from the Wild Blue Jays finish yesterday, which we'll get to. You heard uh, from Jonathan Huberdeau, who, of course, is going to love staying in Calgary. He's got, uh, what is it, 85 million yeah, 80, reasons? 84 million reasons yeah. to love Calgary. That's uh, it's pretty, uh, I- I'd say that's one way to enjoy Calgary. <laughs> you know, cost of living is cheaper than, uh, you know, playing Goes in, a long way, yeah. in Vancouver or Toronto. So that's... Uh, that $84 million is going to go a long way for uh, Jonathan Huberto. And you know what? Most people, I guess unless you're Johnny Gaudreau, if you get an $84 million contract put in front of you, it's not that hard a decision. <laughs> yeah. So you're going to Johnny me, Gaudreau it was, though. You're going to pay me how much? Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> I'm in. And uh, you know what? It was uh, it was an interesting weekend in the city. You know, I, I, I find, uh, at least for me, you know, I've been... Uh, here in Vancouver now for basically five years. My five-year anniversary is coming up this September. Wow. And basically the life of the station. I watched a Canadians game on the weekend. The Whitecaps and the Lions were also playing at BC Place this weekend. And almost for the first time in my five years living here, there was actually a little bit of buzz around those teams, and that's how we'll start with what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? You missed that? What happened over the weekend? Quite a bit, actually. Let's start with the Lions. Saturday. 46 to 14. Uh, those who have listened to me in the five years that I've been here on Sports at 650, Jamie, would know I don't do much CFL talk. And I'm not going to hide here today and, and try to pretend like I've been watching a ton of Lions football or any kind of CFL in my entire lifetime because I haven't. I'm, I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy, pal. And for the first time, Certainly since I've moved to Vancouver, there felt like a buzz about the BC Lions after their win this weekend. It's felt that way since they started this season. And, you know, obviously with the home opener and the crowd they got, that kicked things off right. The question was always going to be, 
what can they do to sustain that and to make sure that's not just a one-off and a feel-good story with a new owner to begin the season, but there, there's actual growth there and there's actual buy-in from fans here in Vancouver. And they're getting that. There was kind of an exclamation point on that on Saturday. And really, look, they're 6-1, and one, so that's always going to help. But even beyond the record, I mean, the reason they're getting that buy-in is the quarterback, is Nathan Rourke. And what he's doing and also just what he represents for the league as a Canadian quarterback who's having an outstanding season. It's been a long time since we've seen that in the CFL. And, you know, I just think if you are in the situation the Lions found themselves in going into this year, right, where you have the new owner and you have optimism because of that, but you're just desperate to rebuild your relevancy in this market – If you had to choose one on-field element to help you do it, a star Canadian quarterback is that thing, right? He is, you know, he's a story here in Vancouver. He's a story across the league right now. And I think as long as he keeps this level of performance up and the team keeps winning and they keep having nights like they did on Saturday where they get a blowout win over Edmonton, they're going to continue to start, you know, building that relevancy back and and getting fans excited as long as Nathan Rourke is doing what he's doing. If it was a nondescript Lions win, I would have very little reason to start the show today talking Lions. You know, that that's just the way the CFL has been lately. And that's just the, you know... W- Yes, ultimately we do decide what goes on to the show and what doesn't, but it's really you that decides because you're the ones that are texting into the show. You're the ones that want to know what's happening. And when the Lions are playing like this, when Rourke is playing like this and and creating this kind of a buzz, then of course we're going to have to discuss a little bit of what's happening with this team. 650-650 on the Dunbar-Lumber text line, 46-14. So, a couple of the uh, outstanding numbers from the game on Saturday from Rourke. Throws for 477 yards. Not bad. Set four single-game records for a Canadian QB in the CFL. One, those passing yards. Two, 91.9 completion rate, which is the third best in CFL history. Six total touchdowns, five through the air, one on the ground. I'd say that's all pretty, pretty, pretty good. Well, and really, I mean, you look at what his numbers were at halftime. They could have been even oh. more outrageous. They took their foot off the gas, understandably so. And you, no, no complaints here for them doing that. You got to keep everyone healthy and all that. But at halftime, it was already just completely absurd video game numbers for Rourke. No, uh, no pressure, kid. But you're not only here to save the BC Lions. Nathan Rourke might be saving the CFL. You're here to be the face of the league. That's the thing. It's a story here in Vancouver. If if you look at the markets where they are kind of more uh, routinely invested in the CFL, right, on the prairies, you know, Winnipeg, Saskatchewan, he's a story there, too. He's a big story right now across this league. And, yeah, as you said, no pressure, but for a league that has had its share of problems and and controversy and all of that recently – it's not just the Lions that are going to benefit from having a star Canadian quarterback, a Canadian quarterback grabbing headlines. It's the entire league that stands to benefit too. Lions are six and one. Winnipeg nine and zero. Lions' only loss came to to Winnipeg, who are top of the league. Rourke is right now the uh, the favorite for MOP. Right, I, I think that's that's pretty obvious. And 
I, I've just felt, and I'm not the only one to, to talk about the CFL this way, but when it's a nine-team league, it can be hard to really get behind. And I get the whole Canadiana thing behind it, but how often are the stars of the league Canadian? None have been quarterbacks. The last star QB to play under center was Russ Jackson in 1969. And I'll tell you, I didn't know that before this weekend. <laughs> I was going to say, how okay? can you forget? Of course. Russ Jackson. I'm not a CFL historian. Uh, but Russ Jackson in 1969. There was a 15-year stretch where a Canadian QB did not take a snap in the league. So... Yeah, I do think it's a big deal, and it means a lot that he is Canadian, and it comes at a time where the CFL has been under a ton of turmoil, having to cancel a season in 2020 and everything that's gone out, gone on with the league in the last couple of years. It's interesting, too, because I don't get the sense that everyone people expected this level of performance from Nathan Rourke, right? Obviously, yeah. he won the starting job, and there's reasons to be excited. Okay, hey, but... I don't think anybody really saw this coming. It's not as if he was this kind of phenom quarterback prospect and it was, oh my goodness, just wait until you see what this guy can do. I think this is unexpected uh, to a certain degree. I think there were a lot of questions about, okay, you know, going from Mike Riley, uh, who's a you know accomplished, established CFL veteran, to a younger guy, Nathan Rourke, what's that going to do? How's that going to affect the team's performance? And I think those questions are reasonable, and he's just completely blown past any expectations uh, that people had for him so far this year. Uh, this, I've been waiting a long time to wake up to Lions talk. Thanks. I, I have a legitimate doubt if that's like sarcastic or. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I'm good, but I think that's a real text. Okay. I think, I don't think that's sarcastic. I, I don't mean to be rude about it, but that's legitimately how far the league has to go. You know, it, and because it's, Look, the CFL, a lot of the younger generation looks at the league, nine teams, whatever. Winning isn't necessarily the lone way to get people excited. I think you have to because interest in the overall, like interest in the league is down overall. And the nine teams diminishes the value of the league to some extent for newcomers to the CFL. At least that's the sense I've gotten in talking to people about it through the, through the years. You have to do more than just win. And the Lions putting up big numbers, having the best quarterback in the league so far this season, having him be Canadian, that is going to get people excited. I feel the same way for a league I've covered for a long time and a sport I've wanted to see grow here in Canada with Major League Soccer. Guess what? There's a ton of people in Vancouver that were watching the Premier League over the weekend that couldn't give a rat's you-know-what about what happens in Major League Soccer. But if the team was actually good and was actually fun at BC Place, they'd be a little bit more interested in going to see a match. So yes, them winning on Friday and making a push for the playoffs, it's fun in a vacuum, it might get people excited like it did last year with Vanny Sartini and the run that they went on. But in the grand scheme, is it keeping people there? Is it really building a diehard fan? No, it's not. You have to go, go the extra mile above winning 
to actually really build that fan base, a long-term fan base around the team. Well, and the thing with the Whitecaps is they have shot themselves in the foot with off-the-field issues a lot in, in recent years as well, and that's made it harder for fans to invest, especially when the product hasn't necessarily been there. And I hear what you're saying, that winning isn't the only thing, but for the Whitecaps, they also haven't done a lot of winning since they've been in MLS, right? Like, they don't have a long history of success to really fall back on, and I think just consistency from year to year, not having the constant roster turnover, the the turnover at, at manager, the turnover even up above that, just consistency from year to year and with that winning right not you don't want to be consistently bad you want to be consistently competitive consistently winning games but that's the biggest thing that I want to see from the Whitecaps and look I was a I was a Whitecaps season ticket holder for a long time um I I want to root for that team they've made it very very difficult to do so and Look, they're and not just because of their on-field performance. No, and not just because of their on-field yeah. performance. Exactly. That's been the issue as well, right? They've made it difficult to do. I'm hopeful that, you know, they have a strong end of the season here under Sartini. They made another interesting addition in their midfield, which is really important. That you can look at the squad that they've put together and like, okay, there's something there. But because the season started the way it did, you also kind of feel like, well, are we really going to see the fruits of it this season? Or is it going to be next year? And you just feel like you're always waiting for this future that never really comes with the Whitecaps. And at a certain point, it can't just be, oh, hey, we look pretty good for next season. you got to actually put a real season together. you got to yeah. give fans for, for months at a time a reason to be excited about your product. And they've just struggled so much to do that recently. Well, it's, it's kind of like the Canadian Championship win that they had a week ago. And sure, it was fun. You beat TFC, you beat the Italians, and... Vanny Sartini threw his shirt off and, and he got super excited. And there was a lot of people at BC Place and the atmosphere felt like old times uh, for, for the Whitecaps. But it's... It it's, can't be a one-off. It's, it's an isolated yeah. game. It's an isolated moment. Um, you know, the Canadian Championship, most people don't even know what it means. You know, it's like, okay, this is cool. Yeah, we want, we want a trophy. Yeah. We want, we want to beat Toronto. Let's go. Um, and, and And that's... That's fun. Uh, are any of those people really going to care when a CONCACAF Champions League game happens some random Tuesday or Wednesday next year? No, they're not. They're not. I'm smart enough to know that, and I've covered the league for a ton of years. I think when it comes to those teams and having to build something, you have to build something that people actually believe in. The Whitecaps... You know, they, they've really got to build something that is sustainable. The turnover issue on the roster and at manager is a real one for that mm -hmm. club. Uh, 2017, they had their first ever playoff home win. They beat San Jose, and it was the debacle against Seattle. They go into that offseason and completely turn over the roster, even though they were going into the final year that they had Alfonso Davies on the team. It made zero sense. And they've just been a colossal disaster ever since. The Lions haven't had a pulse in this city for I don't know how many years until now. I, I, I just wonder, you know, if there is one you are going to buy into right now, which one is it? The Lions or is it the Whitecaps? Right now for this year, I think you have to be buying into the Lions, right? Because the Whitecaps are 
still a long shot to a certain degree to to make the playoffs in MLS. And I know the win against Houston on Friday was huge, pulling it out uh, you know, at the death there, massive three points for them in the playoff race. So maybe a long shot is a little too strong, but you know, it's an uphill battle for them to make the playoffs. And then the thing is, okay, you make the playoffs, maybe you get a road one, you lose. How much is that actually going to move the needle for people here, right? That kind of, again, in isolation, standalone, away playoff game in MLS. I'm not sure how much that's that's really going to do. That you're probably not going to win. The Lions, yeah, exactly. The Lions have a chance to be successful this year, right now, right? Mm-hmm. As you said, they have the guy who's playing the best at the quarterback position in the league. They have, you know, the second best record in the league right now, only behind the undefeated uh, Winnipeg Blue Bombers. So they have reasons. It's not future looking with the Lions, right? Like it is with the Whitecaps. The Whitecaps, you can talk yourself into getting excited for next season. This year, right now, the Lions are doing that. I think that has to be, that is giving people more of a reason to buy in with the Lions than they have for the Whitecaps at the moment. Currently, uh, Whitecaps hitting three points out of a playoff spot, have a game in hand on those two playoff spots that they are trying to chase down. So that's a bonus for them. Ten matches remain in the MLS regular season. They are five points back of a potential home field spot in the Western Conference. So a lot of ground to make up with ten matches to play. And uh, currently the Whitecaps won on Friday uh, despite – you know, a bit of a COVID outbreak having uh, six players out of the lineup. Lucas Cavallini scored in injury time, finally having a half-decent season, the Canadian yeah. International, <laughs> for the Whitecaps. Uh, text coming in, 650-650 to the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. This one unsigned says, Yup, the Lions buzz is for real. Saturday was my first live game in 15 years, and it was awesome. The street party was a blast. It's Rourke, but it's also the receiving core consistently pulling down acrobatic cat. Uh, catches and then another one comes in from Daniel Comox who says I'm not any kind of CFL fan at all but I've been watching the Lions this year because of Rourke then he says but how excited can we really get knowing he'll ultimately leave for the NFL and I don't know about that I mean quarterbacks in the CFL once they have success here they tend to stick around right yeah so I, I think you can envision a world where Nathan Rourke has a long long CFL career in, in Vancouver and other markets as well. And I, I don't think you have to be concerned about that uh, right now, Daniel and Comox. Uh, Rourke's got a long way to go before. You know, could he potentially make an NFL roster uh, or could he be on teams radars to be a third stringer or something to that effect potentially, but is the money better as a top level QB in, in CFL and the security Really, right? Like, yeah, and you know actually getting to play. Yeah, getting to play, getting to compete, all that. Um, th- those have to have some value as well. It's, it, one of the things um, that I think CFL could borrow from MLS is having a designated player type of thing where they go above and beyond the salary cap measures to bring in star players that aren't in the NFL for whatever reason or to keep guys from jumping to the NFL or trying to make that jump. Ultimately, you're like both the the Lions, well the CFL and MLS have that same issue is to some extent, especially younger players in the league, they don't view that league as their des- their final destination. No. They want to make it to the best league in the world. Similar to how a lot of hockey players in Europe and the KHL in Sweden, ideally, they'd like to eventually make the jump 
to the NHL should their career get strong enough. It's just a reality that those leagues have to live with, but that doesn't mean you can't enjoy what a player is doing for you in the moment. No, and I mean, in the CFL, you know, MLS is interesting because that is, that's just kind of a part of world soccer, right? Is that if you're not the Premier League or if you're not, you know, one of the other two or three best leagues in the world, you're kind of inherently, players are going to be looked to moving on, right? That's not just an MLS thing. That's, you know, the Dutch League. That's, you look around at smaller leagues in Europe, that's how they exist too. Central America, South America, same thing there, right? They're all, people are looking to climb the ladder and make that next leap. So in soccer, you kind of just have to live with that. Again, if you're not a, a Premier League fan or something like that. With the CFL, obviously you do see stars go to the NFL if they make it, you know, and you know, we've seen Cam Wake here in the past with the BC Lions. But I don't think it's, there's not, it's not as if there's, you know, every time somebody has a standout performance in the CFL, they immediately get poached by the NFL, right? And yeah. I think the biggest thing in the CFL is, getting guys to stick around on one team in the league for longer, right? To let the fans in that city build that attachment to the player, right? Rather than have the constant roster turnover and the constant roster churn, so you never really have anything to latch onto as a fan. It's uh, one of the things about um, the CFL, too, is anytime it's become a major topic in the last couple of years, it's about... um, well, the existential crisis the league has seemingly been in uh, since the start of the pandemic and even going back a few years before that. It's been basically dead in the three major markets for a lot of years. I mean, even still in Toronto, you see some of the crowds at BMO Field for Argos games. Not great. Pathetic, even. Montreal, not great either. And here in Vancouver, it's been really tough. Attendance was 16,000. It's respectable, but still, I bet, not where new ownership would like it to be, especially given how much success the team is having early on and with how exciting it is. You can't change that. You've got to just keep putting out a good product and hoping that people buy into it. But if anything, you know, as the Canucks have really stunk for so many years in the Jim Benning era, Jamie. This could have been an opportunity for the Lions and Whitecaps to take more of a hold of the fan base here in Vancouver, and yet their attendances have done nothing but go down. Well, they, it, it was a total missed opportunity yeah. by both of those teams. As you said, when the Canucks were on the ropes, not performing, struggling, fans are frustrated, fans are fed up, all of that, there was an opening there, or there would have been an opening for either of those teams to grab. And, you know, you, you referenced... Uh, the 2017 playoff win against San Jose for the Whitecaps, that felt like it might have been that moment, but then immediately fall flat on your face, right? As you said, the debacle against Seattle, and then the roster turnover, and then Alfonso Davies leaves, which is fine. That was the most embarrassing moment of of White. Like, Look, there's been a lot for the Whitecaps. (laughs) Let's be honest, and we haven't even been told the full story yet as the investigation still rolls on surrounding uh, a couple of coaches with the team in uh, the late two th- late 2000s and early 2010s. But 2017, they have that playoff win. Things are going pretty well. You're going into a final year with Alfonso Davies. You know it's a final year with Alfonso Davies because 
He's about to turn 18 and move immediately to Europe. So you know you have one final season with a superstar talent on an absolute peach of a contract. And they did nothing to put a decent team around him. They tore down a lot of the decent pieces that were around him to begin with. And when you talk about a missed opportunity, so that win would have been what? Like November 2017? That is, you know, pre-Elias Pettersson, pre-Quinn Hughes, right? Pre-Thatcher Demko. Yeah. Like, Besser's just started to make his, you know, he's just started his uh, his rookie campaign, so there's a little bit of excitement there, but that's still kind of the depths of the bad times for the Vancouver Canucks, right? Like, that's exactly when it really would have meant something to build on that win, to show that you're invested, to show that you were committed. That was the perfect timing for them to have that opportunity, and they couldn't take it. Adam, the former bath guy, it's uh, not just you, Dan. The entire station barely talks at all about the Lions in CFL outside of a 20-minute hit on the Friday before a game. That needs to change. There's more in Vancouver than just hockey. And uh, Karn from Surrey with this reply. Guys, it's almost 6.30 a.m. on Monday, and you haven't mentioned if JT will be traded or not. Did I miss something? Did it happen? Uh, no, no, Karn. It, it hasn't yet happened. Can you imagine if JT gets traded this week? That would be fantastic. <laughs> we almost went a full half hour without mentioning that. Uh, I did like this text from, uh, you know, we had the text earlier about, uh, okay, I like Nathan Rourke, but I'm worried he's going to go to the NFL. Uh, Stewie from Richmond says, you guys are wrong. I think you guys are wrong about Rourke. He's a young quarterback, and our Seattle Seahawks down south don't really have a career quarterback right now. They're going to keep their eyes on him. You watch. I mean – would you, if you were the Lions right now, would you trade Nathan Rourke for Drew Locke? I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> it's great that Drew Locke's putting up numbers in a mock game, but yeah. Nathan Rourke's doing it on the field. That, uh, that Drew Locke mock game is going to go down in Seahawks <laughs> lore for sure. Uh, all right, it's uh, Halford and Bruff featuring uh, Dan Riccio and Jamie Dodd this morning. We'll come back. Uh, some thoughts on the Blue Jays' wild finish yesterday and more. It's Halford and Bruff in the morning on Sports at 650. Just as Scherzer was about to throw a pitch, the bat boy ran behind the plate. Can't do that. Oh, boy. The windup and the doo-doo pitch. Oh, no, sir. Wait a minute. The batter is calling for time. Looks like he's going and getting himself a new bat. And now there's a beach ball on the field. And the ball boys are discussing which one of them's going to go get it. I never realized how boring this game is. I uh, I knew there was going to be a certain amount of uh, Simpsons references <laughs> uh, when coming in to do this show. There's a quota I have to reach every every show. Are you a big Simpsons guy, Reach? Uh, who isn't a big Simpsons guy? All right, you'll fit right in. Just uh, don't ask me anything about any new Simpsons episodes over the last, what, oh, decade? No. 20, 20 Dude. oh, decades. <laughs> Has any <laughs> Simpsons fan worth their weight? Yeah, the, the show ended <laughs> after season nine for me. That, that's that's what it was. Season what one is nine. season nine? I don't even know. It's got the New York episode. Yeah. It's got some classics. So but like, after season nine, there was a big dip. Season nine would have been like, what, 98? 99, 98, something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. After that, though, it just, I don't know what That's it was. a long time ago Reach was in his prime. We're all super old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Man, I'm like having a Zach Galifianakis like hangover moment trying to do the math of like, if you were to start season one, episode one of The Simpsons today, how long would it take you to catch up 
to modern day Simpsons. How many hours of... Yeah. yeah. How long can you binge? What's your binge? <laughs> well, how many episodes? What's your binge quotia? How many episodes are they at now, right? It Maybe. must be like... Gotta be like six hundred, five hundred. There's a lot of bad episodes you'd have to watch yeah. there in the last stretch. But then you'd realize how many things they got right. You know, all the predictions they made. Um, I remember even as like a thirteen-year-old, yeah, fourteen-year-old when they started to get bad. Like even then, when your taste is, you know, let's not say sophisticated. I remember yeah. being like, "Wow, th- these new episodes suck." <laughs> yeah. Well, dude, I don't know about you guys, but in my household, the "Who Shot Mr. Burns" two-parter that was like that was like the talk of the summer. Like every oh, kid, yeah. every kid in my school was talking oh, yeah. about "Who Shot Mr. Burns." And by the way, seven hundred twenty-eight episodes so far. The Simpsons. Holy smokes! So you'd have some work to do. So twenty minutes each. A lot of celebrity cameos. <laughs> you wow. could do what Bick does and watch them at one and a half speed. <laughs> Go through them super yeah. fast. The other thing that's fascinating, how have the voice actors stood up for yeah. so long? Yep. Oh, yeah. You know? I mean, a few have passed on, but I mean, the the, the core group yeah. is still doing their thing. It's what a impressive. dream gig. I'm, too, I'm making, right? the, do- I'm making oh. the dollar sign with my hand right now. <laughs> <laughs> what a dream gig. Like, how do Bart and Lisa still sound like Bart and Lisa? Yeah, that's impressive. Vo- uh, voice acting professionals. Uh, a little bit of breaking news. Oh, not, we, have, not, we have some breaking news. Not massively surprising NHL breaking news. Is it deserving of the yeah, I think so. News? We yeah. use the breaking news sounder for this. I mean, Sportsnet 650, breaking news. It's August 8th, so we can fudge it a little bit. <laughs> but uh, the Boston Bruins making it official. Patrice Bergeron coming back on a one-year deal, $2.5 million, So pretty reasonable. An additional $2.5 million in performance-based incentives for, uh, for Patrice Bergeron. It's pretty good. Uh, Patrice Bergeron, I can't believe how good he still is. He's incredible. He's 37. <laughs> he is a stud, an absolute stud still down the middle. And $2.5 million now, I don't know what the bonuses are exactly. Uh, based on the fact that he is incredibly good, seems like yep. a, a decent chance it'll hit them. But still, to get him on that deal, I, and I understand, obviously, you know, career brew and all that, uh, That's uh, it's not bad for Boston. I mean... Halford and Bruff, it's Stan Riccio and Jamie Dodd. We're brought to you by, uh, this hour, Avenue Machinery. Build your company to win with Kubota from Avenue Machinery. So, Patrice Bergeron, you know, in this uh, age of analytics, it's like, you would think maybe a 37-year-old player gets propped up by his reputation. Nope. Not not Bergeron. He is still one of the most dominant two-way players in the league, won the Selkie again, deservedly so, not because he was on his way out, but because he legitimately impacts the game that much at both ends of the rink. And, you know, it kind of would have been sad to see him go a little bit, knowing that he's still playing at such a high level. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all the uh, all of that talk of, oh, are the the Bruins, you know, with all the injuries, are they going to tank for Connor Bedard? No. (laughs) <laughs> Patrice Bergeron's not coming back to tank for Connor Bedard. And Patrice Bergeron, by himself, pretty much, that's how good he is, takes you out of the running for, for the tank. I think that that whole uh, Pacific, or not Pacific Division, that Atlantic Division is is fascinating because Detroit spends a ton of money in free agency. They want to be better this year. Ottawa is thought of mm-hmm. to have had the best offseason of any team Buffalo is still kind of in build mode, but obviously they would like to get better. Got closer to 500 last season. And then you have the four incumbents with Florida, Toronto, Tampa Bay, and Boston. 
if you are Detroit or Ottawa, you're like, man, like, yeah. we feel good about our offseason, but there's no way we're making the playoffs for, still. For all the moves those two teams made, like the get, let's not forget, it's not as if they were, you know, five points behind those other teams. Thirty There's a, points. a massive cap yeah. to close. And yeah, look, Boston, I know they'll have the injuries for part of the season and all that, but you've still you're bringing back Patrice Bergeron. It, it's it's it makes it so much more difficult for those kind of upstart teams to actually find a way to close that gap, right? Because you you need if you're Ottawa or Detroit. Ideally, you also have, you know, one of those teams you listed take a step back. And Boston probably looked like the best candidate. And, hey, they still could. You never know. But I don't think it's going to be a total collapse to really open the door. If Detroit or Ottawa are going to take that step forward to the playoffs, they're going to have to really, really earn it in that division. It's um, So Patrice Bergeron, still incredible, even at his age. Uh, I, I was kind of thinking yesterday – Sidney Crosby hitting the uh, ripe old age of 35. I'll be there in a month with Sid. Should be fun. Probably not. Um, I mean, I've, <laughs> as someone who's been 35, it's like whatever. They all they're all the same after a certain point. <laughs> <laughs> that's my cheery take for the day. Okay, that's great. I, f- I feel great about it. Not like I just have like random aches and pains all the time now. By the way, somebody texted in that was very underwhelming breaking news. I mean, I don't know. Come on, it's the 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 reigning Selkie winner. As I said, it's August eighth. Yeah. We gotta get fudge the definition a saying, little bit we need, here. We need to get the voice guy to do like a half breaking, like a breaking <laughs> yeah, news. Yeah, 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 exactly. The whole yeah, like a Ron Burgundy one. We need something like a lesser level breaking news sounding. I'm Ron Burgundy. <laughs> breaking news. Bergeron signs in Boston. <laughs> No, we know that happened, Andy. Like that that one that one's real. <laughs> I'm still looking into it. Uh it's uh so I was thinking yesterday Crosby's going to be is 35. He's got 3 years left on his deal. Um it's been said that he'd like to play 6 more years in the league. Sid is I don't know if people have forgotten about Sid, maybe not. But he gets hurt in that playoff series against the Rangers this year, and everything goes sideways for the Penguins after that. But he was playing at such an incredibly high level. And yet, it doesn't feel as though we still talk about Sid as one of the best five players in the game. Because he's not, without a shadow of a doubt, the number one player in the game anymore. It just feels as though... We've stopped respecting just how good Sidney Crosby is. Am I, I wrong there? There's an element of we take him for granted at this point, right? Because he has been so incredibly consistent when he's been on the ice healthy. And we know, you know, he had the concussion issues, the injury issues for a stretch in his career. But when he's been on the ice, since he came into the league, he's never not been productive, not been effective, right? He's just like clockwork. Game in, game out, you know what you're getting from Sidney Crosby. Season in, season out, you know what you're getting from Sidney Crosby. And I think at this point, with the amount of time he's been in the league, there is an element of, you know, we've kind of moved on to the shiny new toys, right? Oh, look what Kale McCarr is doing. Look what Nathan McKinnon is doing. Look at, you know, the the points that Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl are racking up. Austin Matthews and his goals this year. All of that. And I, and I understand that. But, yeah, you shouldn't lose sight of how impressive it is and how – how not just productive, but impactful Sidney Crosby is, right? How much he tilts the ice in favor of the Penguins, how much he moves the needle 
for them in terms of winning games still at this age. I do think we take it for granted, and you know the uh, the occasion of his birthday is kind of a good reminder. Who knows how much longer we're going to have him at this level? So we we should enjoy it while we can here. He had 84 points in 69 games this past year. It's pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. Um, and yeah, sure, everybody, like especially the the top players. We're a little bit higher this year in points per game average than than we've seen in other years in the NHL, but Sid was outstanding for that Penguins team all season long. And I kind of, I I try to think about his impact on the league as a whole, Jamie, and and heck, he saved a franchise. (laughs) So for one... That's more than most other guys have done in the league in their history. Never mind the three cups and the Olympic golds and all those things that he's added to his resume as well. He saved the Pittsburgh Penguins from death, from relocation, whatever you would like to say. Sidney Crosby did that. I kind of view him and Alex Ovechkin as hockey's version of of Lionel Messi versus Cristiano Ronaldo. Maybe that's hyperbole, but I don't think it is. I mean, these are two of the greatest players the game has ever seen. And they played against each other a ton. The league built them up as these great stars Uh fighting one another night in and night out. They had great playoff series against each other for many, many years. Washington took forever to get over the hump and, and beat uh, you know, the big bad Penguins and Sidney Crosby. I just, I wonder from a casual fan's perspective, if Sid and Ovi had the same or had the level of impact that I thought it would have, given how much we already in love with the game, watching the game on a regular basis, talked about their battles through the Well, years. I think... Each player individually lived up to the incredible hype of them coming into the league, yes. which is pretty remarkable, especially when you think about Sidney Crosby and the hype that surrounded him coming into the NHL and the fact that he's been able to, no doubt, live up to it and surpass it even, you could argue, is is really an incredible accomplishment. I mean, if you're talking about kind of moving the needle from an interest perspective south of the border or even among maybe casual fans north of the border here, there's only so much the two players can do at a certain point, right? And I will say, I think if you were to pull just kind of sports but not NHL fans in the U.S., name recognition for NHL players, those two guys would still be probably top of the list, I would yeah. think. Certainly Ovechkin. I think Crosby would write up there as well. So for a long time, and you know, now I think the league is kind of on a better path in the U.S., but it, it's not as if they made it all of a sudden, you know, the hot ticket in the United States, but I think they kind of kept it afloat at a pretty difficult time, right? Or a couple of lockouts in there, you know, the not an ideal TV situation for the league. So it, it's not as if it was a revolution in, you know, fan interest because of them. But I think if you you have to kind of think what would it have been without them? And it could have been pretty ugly. So uh, Sid wants to play six more years. He's at 1,400 points. Um, could realistically get to 1,800, maybe. That would put him in the top five of all-time scorers. Not bad. Not bad for a guy that uh, 
you know, who knows where he would be if not for the concussion injuries and issues he had, especially through his, you know, couple of his real prime years. Oh. Uh, in, in his early 20s. His best scoring rate years. Yeah. Really. I mean, 25, 26. Those are the years. Those are the years where he, and he, he, you know, when he was on the ice in those years, he was absolutely dominant, right? He, he could have had a 150 point season in one of those years. Uh, he may end up uh, surpassing Mario Lemieux for the best penguin of all time, at least high scoring penguin of all time. And then you have Ovi, who, you know, this, this may end up being um, what does get the level of casual interest that maybe I'm I'm hoping to see but if you know the chase for 894 does actually happen and he's just over 100 goals away so it's really not that far 124 goals yeah, to be that's exact that's like that's that's go time that yeah. you know it that's like Barry Bonds it's level, been a like sport- chasing down Hank yeah. Aaron. It's been a sports radio conversation for a long time, right? Like, can he do it? Can he do it? And it, it started to get more and more real. I mean... 124 goals yeah, seems like nothing now. No, there's you know? not... Like, obviously, look, that's a lot of goals, right? Yes. And that's that's probably <laughs> three more really good productive seasons for Ovi. Obviously, that's you got to hit 40 goals in each of those years. That's, yeah. Even for Ovechkin, that's not a given. I understand that, but... There's no kind of can he do it debate. Obviously he can, and I'm not guaranteeing that he's going to break it, but it's not this kind of abstract possibility anymore, right? It's He's in the chase. He's doing it. It is a real live possibility for Ovi to chase it down. Uh, if not for the lockouts, Ovi might already be there mm-hmm. as well. <laughs> uh, COVID-shortened another... seasons, like all of it. He's, he's had some tough luck in there. Uh, this from Stewie. How does the reigning Selkie winner only fetch $2.5 He got had. Well, when you only want to play for one team, yeah, you've played your whole career there. You've made your money. You've won a cup. You're plus the you're incentives. the guy. All of it, yeah. I mean, even the incentives takes it to five million, like well below his market value. <laughs> the uh, the salary cap, man, it's uh, it's doing wonders uh, on uh, on player salaries right now. Uh, all right, so the Blue Jays. Get the win yesterday over the Minnesota Twins. Did you see how the game ended, Jamie? I sure did. Sure <laughs> did. It's hard to miss. Yeah. You know, just like the entire Twitter sports world started talking about the finish. Uh, so extra innings, uh, Jordan Romano blew the save for the Jays and it goes into extras tied to two. I have audio of it if you want to. Uh, all right, let's get to the audio. Whip Merrifield at third base, and uh, the Blue Jays with a chance to go ahead of the Minnesota Twins. Deal bar the lefty. Deals. First pitch popped up. Out to left. Beckham underneath it. Steps forward to gain momentum. The catch is made. Merrifield's coming down the line. Beckham with the throw on the fly. The play at the plate, and he is out. He's out at the plate. So there's the play. Or, out it, or is he? Or is he? Or is he out? Uh, Blue Jays end up challenging that play. And it goes to review. It goes to New York. And they determine that Gary Sanchez, probably the worst defensive catcher in all of baseball, Gary Sanchez blocked the plate. It's the Buster Posey rule, Jamie. Remember years ago, sure Buster Posey mm-hmm. gets blown up at home plate. Mm-hmm. They changed the rule because they don't want to see catchers getting hurt anymore. And you're not allowed to block the plate. You have to give the runner 
a pathway to home plate. The rule actually reads, as I scramble through my notes here to get it, unless the catcher is in possession of the ball, the catcher cannot block the pathway of the runner as he is attempting to score. If, in the judgment of the umpire, the catcher without possession of the ball blocks the pathway of the runner, the umpire shall call or signal the runner safe. Now, the umpire didn't determine that. Mm-hmm. The review booth did. And Rocco Baldelli was not very happy. The Minnesota Twins manager lost his mind on the field. It ends up being the winning run. Jays win it 3-2. John Schneider and the Jays are like, yep, he blocked we'll the plate. It. We'll, we'll take, take it. it. Yep, but it's a good, good win. Rocco Baldelli felt otherwise and was lighting up the MLB and the replay review booth after the game. That play has not been called since the beginning of replay more than a couple of times. In all of baseball, the thousands and thousands of games and plays at home where the catcher actually does block the plate over and over and over again, that play has virtually never been called. And for someone to step in in that situation and ultimately make a decision that that was blocking the plate, that's beyond embarrassing for our game, for all the players out there on both sides of the field working their ass off for the entire game. It's completely unacceptable. I can't even believe I'm sitting here talking to you guys about this right now. That's only part of the rant. The rant. He sounds upset. He seems, yeah, I don't bo- think he seems bothered. I don't think he was a fan of that call. Yeah, he called it a chicken bleep call. Which is a great term to use, I, I would say. Like, not used often enough. Underused. <laughs> Although, I will say, does it? I don't really know that it applies perfectly to this situation. Like, are you calling the umps cowards? You know what I mean? Like, it's the yeah. wrong call, but... They're not being cowardly about it. I don't know. It doesn't. Uh, great, great word. Don't get yeah. me wrong. I'm not sure it applies here. So what Merrifield actually was pretty interesting was calculated in his slide, Laddie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was reading an article they were talking to him post game, and he said earlier in the series he had noticed the way Sanchez was setting up at home. So he had scored on a previous fly ball. There wasn't a play at the plate, but he sort of made a mental note. Said I. Blocking the plate in a kind of a weird way before he even has the ball. So when he went in for this slide, he thought, you know what? I'm just going to slide directly into him and hope the umpires can make the correct call. And in this case, it looks like they did. If you're a Jays fan, you agree. But maybe not for the Twins fans out there. I think it's very much a in the gray call. You know, so depending on who you cheer for, you're probably cheering for the call that that way. Yeah. And I mean, I guess caveat that I'm I'm sitting here doing the show wearing my Blue Jays hat. But yeah. here, here's what I'll say. When you watch it, it's like, no, he's out. Of course he's out. Why <laughs> Why on earth would they call it safe? Like, no, that's just... That's out. That's out. That's how it works. Yeah. You're out. When you read the rule, I I do understand where they're coming from a little bit. The other interesting thing is, right, Baldelli's saying, oh, this call's never been made before. Very, very similar call actually happened same day in the uh, in the Orioles game. I think it was Orioles and the Pirates. Uh, anyways, that's neither here nor there. That sounds a very irrelevant game, though. Yeah. <laughs> Man. <laughs> Orioles and Pirates? Cla- classic rivalry. <laughs> Baltimore Orioles and the Pittsburgh Pirates. Dozens of fans were upset by that call. <laughs> yes, exactly. 
the only so I, I get it by the absolute letter of the rule. You can uh, you can see what they were thinking why they overturned it. It's just it really seems like they are penalizing Sanchez for moving like a fraction of a second too early, which yeah. is just how are you going to shut that off? How are you going to shut that instinct off? You know where you have to go when you get the ball. So of course, as okay, I've almost caught it. I'm going to start inching that way, yeah. which technically you're not allowed to do. It just seems it's such a fine margin to penalize Gary Sanchez. We're also for. in that era right now, actually, where the catchers that came up all came up with the railroading right. of the catch. He's right. used to being able to block the plate, so that we're still kind of in that transition period too for catchers. I would say, I, I you know, as much as I'm happy to see the Blue Jays get a win, and this uh, very very uh, difficult season. It, I say difficult season even though they're in a playoff spot, but like every game feels like they're pulling teeth. And they get the win. They need the win, especially against a team that you know they could be fighting in the wild card for. But I agree 100% with, with Rocco Baldelli. No umpire in their right mind is making that call in real time. No. Zero chance. And, like, you have to slow that play down and watch it on slow motion to make yourself think that it is – the right call, and by the rule, it should be called. It that feels way. a little bit like an offside review in yeah. hockey, right? Where it's like, well, I guess I can see a little <laughs> bit of the ice there, so okay, call it back. But and uh... that's why I think he's so pissed off about it because in real time, in real life, you are not making that call, and it is a bang bang play at the plate. It's really hard. The throw is so on point that it's hard to imagine Gary Sanchez have any other play. Other than standing right on the plate he, while he's making the He play. would have had to really contort his body to yeah. get out of the way, which, when you look at the rule, is kind of what you're supposed <laughs> to do. You're supposed to give them a lane to slide. I get that. It's just, again, in the bang-bang situation, where, and as Balak said, you know, he's come up in an yeah. era where he didn't have to do that. It's it's a tough one. He's either got to take a step forward, which then the ball might go over his head, or yeah. he's got to take a step back and be behind the plate to receive the ball. It doesn't make a ton of sense. Um but a fascinating conversation. We'll continue it into hour two of the program. It's Dan Richo and Jamie Dodd pretending to be Halford and Bruff this morning on Sports at 650.